0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Our text for today, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. This is kind of the first part of this section here. We will go over the, the next, of course, uh, next Lord's Day. That takes us down through verse 25. But I did want to spend a little bit of time covering verses 18 to 22. We have been learning the past couple of weeks about the great blessing of the people of God in that we have received the adoption as sons. And as we understood that with that, with that language... That we have received the adoption as sons and we have the witness of the, the Holy Spirit in us. He says in verse 14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. We have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That this is uh, what we learned was the great blessing that all the people of God receive. We notice that it doesn't say sons and daughters, and it's purposeful that it doesn't do that because it is male, female, all are treated as sons in the household. Whereas the firstborn son inherited all that the father had. In this kind of language, it is emphasizing both the male and female. Those who are in Christ are treated as the heirs of God. And what a great blessing that that is. Sometimes I think we glean over this or we gloss over it rather and we don't really stop to consider the language of being able to come before God and to call him father. He is no longer our judge, but he is our father, our heavenly father who cares for his children. Our heavenly father who loves us even in spite of the things that we've been reading about in Romans concerning our struggle with sin. And just as the Apostle Paul had given a great contrast in the earlier part of chapter 8 to encourage the believers not to try to question their salvation, but to understand the differences between those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit in order to encourage them and to give them this great news that you are in Christ adopted as sons. But now in our text this morning, he takes it even further to give such a great blessing to the people of God, to emphasize the great blessing to the people of God. And he does so by really personifying creation. He personifies creation in our text today in that creation itself is longing for the day in which the sons of God will be revealed, be unveiled. The day of our glorification is what is in view there and it helps us to understand too even more about the redemption that Christ has brought about. It wasn't just that Christ has redeemed us as far as humanity but that through the blood of his cross, as Paul says in Colossians 1, that Christ is reconciling all things to himself, whether things in heaven or things on the earth. His death, his finished work includes all of creation. All of it is going to be redeemed. And it's going to be redeemed at the point in which those that are in Christ receive the culmination of their redemption, which is our glorification. And that's what Paul ties it to here. The magnificence of the glorification of the people of God is so magnificent and excellent that even creation itself desires to see that day. Because your redemption, your glorification means the redemption also or the renewal of all creation. And so as we look in our text this morning, this is this is just the first part of this. He's going to continue Verses 23 to 25, which we'll cover next Lord's Day, reiterating some of these same truths. But this is for the encouragement of the people of God. I mean, think about what Paul has been saying thus far. As we've been talking about, you were under the dominion of sin. Now you became slaves of righteousness. You were in the flesh, but now you became obedient from the heart because of the work that the Spirit of God has done in you removing your heart of stone, giving you a heart of flesh, causing you to walk in the statutes of the Lord, all the great blessings that we've received. And he goes over the reality of the Christian life in that that you have this struggle, the struggle with, with the remnants of the corruption, which still remains. And in all of that, as much as it causes us to despair and it causes us to beat ourselves up, Paul says, but here's the good news. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The law of God is fulfilled in you now. It's being performed in you. And you are no longer in the flesh, but now you walk according to the Spirit. Now you're considered to be sons and daughters of the King. And it's going to be so magnificent the day of your glorification that even creation is waiting for that day. And it is indeed to encourage the people of God. And so as we work our way through this passage today, I pray that indeed it will be encouraging to you also to understand the full magnitude of what Christ has accomplished, not just for redeeming humanity, those that the Father had given to him, but all creation itself. All, the renewal of creation is founded upon the work of our Lord also. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. This is the holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words of the living God. And let us give our attention to the scripture. Verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that, cre- that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now let 's pray together gracious God and our Father we humbly come into your presence this day we thank you for this portion of your word we thank you for all that it teaches us we thank you for the encouragement that it that it gives our hearts of the wonderful blessing that we have received and how magnificent that it is to be called children of God. Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, that it would accomplish all you desire in us, that your name would be made great among your people, that Christ would be magnified in our hearts this day through the Spirit of God whom you've granted to us. Father, we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, amen. Please be seated. Verse 18, of course, is continuing the thought from the previous section there that we had heard last Lord's Day. Beginning in verse 16... Jason had went over with us this passage the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of god and if children heirs also heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him now continuing that thought of the suffering with christ in order to inherit the great glorious uh, eternity that he has for his people He continues this same idea by saying and addressing that very thing of our sufferings. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Your translations may say uh, the glory that is to be revealed in us. And really, I don't think it has to be one or the other because surely this glory will be revealed to us As the scriptures affirm to us that eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. What will be revealed to us will be so magnificent. But also what will be revealed in us in reference to our glorification that will happen on the last day. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, he's convinced of this, this is his conviction in light of even the things that the Apostle Paul himself suffered. Now, you got to think that the Apostle, as he is writing to this church, he has in mind a number of things that he himself has suffered. If you go to 2 Corinthians, you have him being shipwrecked and being whipped and stoned and all of these hardships that he has received. But he says that even in light of that, which most people, if we're being honest, most people are not going to endure any of those things, very little of those things. But even the Apostle Paul says of that, He considers, he's convinced of this, that they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. He says that because they are temporal things. He actually, he writes again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, beginning of verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The Apostle Paul is saying that even, even the hardships and the afflictions that we endure in this life, what is to be revealed outweighs them it's 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 almost as if he has a, a scale in his hand and he has the two plates and he's placing both of them on there the sufferings of the people of god and the glorification that is to come for the people of god and there's not even a comparison here the glory that is to be revealed in us or revealed to us far outweighs any sufferings that you endure in this life This would have been a great encouragement, no doubt, for the people in Rome. Depending when Paul had written Romans here, there's a few views as to when he had written it, but we know that one of the first persecutions that began to happen to the people of God, as far as uh, from the Roman Empire, happened in Rome, under Nero. The great suffering that occurred to the people of God then. But to know these words here, that the glory that is to be revealed far outweighs even the martyrdom that you would endure. What an encouragement. But what about some of us who maybe don't endure those types of things? When you think of persecutions, or you think of suffering, sometimes we automatically go to persecution. Well, very little, very not very many of us, rather, will endure persecution. Many believers around the world indeed do at this present time. But what other things does he have in mind here, perhaps? This is a very general word for sufferings, and it includes uh, many different things, as William Hendrickson writes, that these are sufferings in general, including pain, both physical and mental. Sickness, disappointment, unemployment, poverty, frustration. Any of the sufferings of this life. Any of the disappointments of this life. Any of the things that cause us to despair in this life. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits. And some of the other things that he could absolutely be in reference to are the things that he's already brought out to us concerning the struggle of the Christian life he has talked about already of the things that he wants to do, he doesn't do. The things he don't want to do, he does. It's sin which dwells in him. And so instead of causing himself to despair, which many times that we can because we beat ourselves up because of our failures, of that struggle that is within us, how is it that I could do this? Or how is it that I could say this? How is it that I find myself here? And that often causes us to despair. And as we've been talking about, causes us at times to doubt our. Assurance in Christ because we we're not assured of our standing because of what we had had done. Perhaps the Apostle Paul has that in view as well. That kind of suffering, that mental anguish which our sin causes us. Because that is universal to all believers. All believers struggle with sin. That's some sin. Because none of us are without it. And we will continue to struggle with this until the day our Lord returns. But you think of those, those type of, of sufferings as well, which are universal to all the people of God. Persecutions happen in certain places and at certain times in history. We may not endure that sort of thing. But mental anguish because of sin, the struggles with sin, the afflictions that we have, the diseases that we have to contend with, or the unemployments or the poverty, or the frustrations, and any of that. All these things that we have to endure that get us down and that beat us up and that keep us down. And here the Apostle Paul says, but wait a minute. Even these things that you suffer in this life are not worthy to be compared. Because what is to come is far greater and it outweighs any suffering that you've endured in this life. It's like, how can he say that? Paul doesn't know what's going on in my life. Paul doesn't know the struggle that I had or in this or with that or whatever. But in fact, he does. He's endured the persecutions. The very thing that we haven't. He's endured the frustrations and the disappointments. You read in, in Timothy of, you can almost see the frustration with the Apostle Paul, the Of those that had deserted him. Perhaps of loneliness. Struggle with sin. And yet Paul says. I'm convinced of this. For your own struggles dear Christian. And your own disappointments. Do you realize. That what is to be revealed to you. And in you on the last day, far outweighs any of the things that you endure here. Any of the pain of losing people in your life and grieving. Do you know that what is to be revealed far outweighs any of that pain, any of that suffering? And that's why we have that sure hope. That's why we continually lift our eyes and we behold the glory of Christ and we long for the day in which all will be made right. These things are Not worthy to be compared. They're not to be put on an equality with the glory to be revealed. This glory, one writer says or defines it in this way the glorious condition of the blessedness in which it is appointed and promised that true Christians shall enter after their Savior's return from heaven. The glory that is to be revealed in us and to us, speaking of the end in which you will be glorified in Christ. How magnificent will it be that any of these things will not even compare. As the one song that we sing, Though You Slay Me, when it looks forward to that last day and he says that all the tears that was shed, they were worth it all. They were worth it all for that day. Our glorification, this is, as one writer says, the final step in the application of redemption. And it will happen when Christ returns and raises from the dead the bodies of all believers for all time who have died and reunites them with their souls and changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive, thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. Even when you die now, we talk about the intermediate state. We talk about how it is that when you die now, your body goes to the dust of the earth, your spirit goes home to be with the Lord. But something else is going to happen on the resurrection day. Something far more glorious. Even though you are in a state of perfection and you're with the Lord, and we know that our loved ones who have died in the Lord, they've gone on to be with Him, the culmination of their salvation hasn't happened yet. Because they still have to look forward to the resurrection. In which we will be raised and reunited in a physical glorified body. And that's the promise that is given to the people of God. Hold your place here. This is what our Lord says in John chapter 6. Verses 39 and 40. Jesus says, This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Martha affirmed those very words too when Jesus says, Your brother will rise again. She says that I know that in the resurrection on the last day, he will this is the promise that is given by our lord to the people of god and john chapter 12 reiterates it again verse beginning of verse 46 and also gives us more understanding of what happens on the last day that language i have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not re- remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings as one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. When you have this occurrence on the last day in which the people of God will be raised up, you have at that last day when the Lord will judge all the unbelieving. And I say that because what is occurring here in this, in, in, with the people of God and even with the unbelievers, it also has a great effect on what happens to creation itself. He says in verse 19, personifying creation, as many of the Psalms do, of the, the hills clapping and, and all of this sort of language, the, the wilderness rejoicing in Isaiah, many writers often personify creation and the Apostle Paul is doing so as well to say this the present sufferings that you endure not to be compared with the glory that awaits and the magnificence of what is to be revealed to you is so wonderful and excellent that he says that creation itself waits for this day for the anxious longing of the creation Waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. It's interesting how this reads in, in the original language. It says, For the anxious expectation of the creation, the unveiling of the sons of God is eagerly expecting. You have that great emphasis there. The language, very similar. It's the anxious longing, that, that anxious expectation of creation itself, that eager hope that creation itself has waiting for the revealing or the unveiling of the sons of God. That creation's redemption is is tied to the redemption of the people of God. When the culmination of our salvation occurs at the glorification, it is then that the creation is waiting for, is longing for, because on that day is also when creation itself will be renewed. The Apostle Paul is tying the two together. The anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For this unveiling that he just spoke of. That glory that is to be revealed. He goes on to say that creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Creation itself had to endure the curse because of Adam. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3... as the curse is being placed upon the woman, the serpent. Verse 17, we read this. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam was commanded to keep the garden, to tend the garden, all of this, to have dominion over the earth. Back in chapter 1, when God creates man in his own image, In verse 28, he says, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over all the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And he gave him all the fruit trees, all of that that you go on to read. Adam was to have dominion. It was a paradise. God had created it for his own glory. And because Adam sinned, because he fell, Creation itself had to endure the curse as well. Cursed is the ground because of you. And so as Paul is elaborating here, creation was subjected to futility. It was subjected to uselessness, to decay, to death because of Adam. And the one who subjected it, if you notice in your Bibles, it has uppercase H. It was God who did so. It was God who set the rules, who set the parameters of the curse and all of that. And he did so in hope that one day it would be redeemed by him. You think of the purpose of creation in the beginning. That creation, even now, to an extent, as we read of in Psalm 8 and in Psalm 19, that creation itself testifies of the glory and the majesty of God. But think about what it would have been like prior to the fall. Prior to evil, prior to death, prior to sin entering into the world. That God had created As Calvin called it, he created the theater of God. The world was the theater of God. It still is, by all means. Until sin entered into the world, and death, and disease. You think about how creation is now used in order to dishonor God, used to rebel against God, as man will cut down the trees. And they will make in fashion to themselves gods of their own liking. That they are taking the very creation of God and using it for a purpose of dishonor. You think about the means that man uses even today in order to rebel against our Lord and to bring about evil. Creation itself was subjected to death and decay. Subjected to endure the moral corruption of man. And it does. Creation does have to endure all the corruption of man. And God is the one, again, who placed the curse. But he did so in hope and that surety that one day he would redeem it. He says that creation was subjected to futility not willingly, didn't, being personified again, it didn't choose to, but because of him who subjected it, meaning the Lord placed, placed creation under the influence, under the decay, under the death that it endures now, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is very similar language that we have already seen within Romans. Language that has been used to the people of God, a being set free, no longer being under corruption. It is actually the, the same word that is used in chapter 8, verse 2, when he says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. The very same word. It is the same word in chapter 6, verse 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And in verse 22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. This is the same word that was used of believers being set free, now receiving that liberty and the freedom that they have in Christ, that creation itself will be set free in the same kind of a manner. Be renewed. Now we think of what kind of renewal that this will be. Will it be a, a total doing away of the current creation in a new? Well, in verse 22, we read that for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. These are birth pangs. These are not death pangs. Creation is longing for the day in which it will be renewed. Not destroyed and done away, but renewed. God is not done with this creation here. It groans It says, again personifying it, the whole creation suffering the pains of childbirth until now. One writer says it like this, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. Another writer says that creation is craning its neck, craning its head, waiting for the day in which the sons of God will be revealed and the glory that will come thereafter. Again, when we look to the work of Christ Jesus and all that he has accomplished, it wasn't just the redeeming of man, but it was the promise of the redeeming of all creation. Again, in Colossians chapter 1, beginning of verse 19, For it was the Father's good pleasure For all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. To reconcile all things to himself. Not all peoples, not all the elect, all things. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. The creation itself is going to be renewed. And it's going to be renewed because Christ Jesus himself, because of his finished work, reconciling all things through the blood of his cross, has made the promise as well that creation will be renewed. And as of right now, just as we ourselves groan, as Paul will go into later, creation itself is groaning and it's suffering those birth pangs. It's in travail as of right now, as if to give birth. groans and suffers. One writer says, both these verbs signify that the created order has not fulfilled its purpose. The futility, decay, and frustration of the present world signal its incompleteness and failure to reach its full potential. And it's waiting for the day. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, "We we see then the unity between man and his surroundings, the creation. What happens to man happens to it. The negative has already happened. But what the apostle is about to say is that the positive is also in the plan of God. That is why the whole creation is earnestly expecting, craning its neck, waiting with eager expectation for the manifestation of the sons of God. It longs for the day. It longs for the day in which man will be redeemed. Because it is on that day. That's what the apostle is saying. It's waiting for that day because it's that day in which it itself will be renewed. It will be renewed and restored as it was supposed to have been. Here's what one theologian says. It's a little lengthy, but please listen. The earth was the earth was originally supposed to be a source of life, but as a result of the fall, it was forced to cover the blood of the martyrs and having the dead placed within its bowels. No longer purely a source of life, the earth became an unwilling tomb for the dead. At the consummation of the age, though, the earth will give birth and issue forth the dead at the resurrection. Although the resurrection will be of both the righteous and the unrighteous, it is the resurrection and glorification of the righteous, the people of God, for which the creation longs. End quote. "As the earth has become and creation has become a tomb for the dead at the resurrection is what Paul is alluding to here it will give birth and it will give back the dead at the resurrection and we read of the resurrection 1 Thessalonians 4 a very familiar passage 1 Thessalonians 4 will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. On this resurrection day, as Jesus says, on the last day, when he returns and when the earth Gives back the dead which are in it no longer to be a tomb. This is the day in which the creation itself is longing for. It should be the day that we long for as well. Because this is the day in which all will be made right. All will be renewed. Creation itself will no longer be under a curse. Creation itself will no longer be subjected to sin and misery and despair and wickedness. This is the day in which all of it is made right. This is what creation longs for, as the apostle is using that language there. It is the day in which we long for. And think about this what is happening here? If you go back and you remember what it is that Adam was supposed to have done, right? Earth, the creation itself, was a paradise subdue the earth, have dominion over it, have dominion over all the animals, etc., etc., etc. Well, he failed to do that. But what is Christ, who is the last Adam? What is he doing? He's doing the very thing that the first Adam couldn't. And he is reconciling all things back to himself. For it is his, and it belongs to him. And as the scripture tells us, He shall have dominion from sea to sea, from the great river to the ends of the earth. He's going to accomplish what the first Adam couldn't. So it's not just the fact of us being able to receive this great and magnificent gift of uh, being glorified in Christ. And we don't know what it's going to be like. We know it's going to be like him. That we're going to be like him, as John says. And it's going to be so magnificent and so excellent that personifying creation, creation looks forward to that day too. And all of this is to encourage the people of God as Paul is writing to them. And it's in view of the sufferings that they have in this life. Your glorification is so, so amazing. The creation is longing for the day in which to see you be glorified. This is something to to really ponder on here because it seems so far away. It seems so far-fetched at times. It seems so out of our minds to understand what does it mean to be glorified. You know what? We don't know. We have no idea. And that's okay because the only thing that we need to know is that Christ is the one who's going to raise us up. Christ is the one who's going to clothe us with his glory and it's going to be Christ in whom we will finally be able to see and to have Fellowship with for all eternity. This is a day to look forward to. This is a day in which if creation longs to see this day, then you should too. If creation is longing for this day, and even the Apostle Paul is saying, your sufferings don't even compare. How do you view your sufferings? In the present, you who are in Christ, as you look towards the day in which all will be made right. Because you know what we do? We look at our sufferings and our frustrations and our afflictions and all the pain that we endure. And we say, this is just so much, I can't, I, I can't bear it. And what is he saying? Stop looking at it, but look to Christ and look at what you have. Look at what's coming. Because it's so grand and so amazing. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to you. Look. And behold the majesty of Christ and long for the day in which he will return. As you endure your sufferings, and yes, it's tough. We have our tough times and we, we, we are overwhelmed, it seems, at times. But dear Christians, stop looking at what is going on in your life and the frustrations, but look, at, look to Christ. I love what Mike Abendroth said. He said, he said that when it comes to counseling people, And when they come into his office and they need counseling, you know what he says to them? He doesn't say, well, since this is your problem, then let's look at this particular thing here. Or if this is what you're enduring, let's look at this particular thing over here. You know what he says? Hey, I give them more of Christ. doesn't matter what they're going through. I give them more of Christ. Because Christ is the one who brings healing. Christ is the one who brings the encouragement that we need and the comfort to our hearts. Because it reminds us, this is temporal This isn't all there is, dear Christian. For there is far greater things for you in Christ. Do you long for that day? Do you long to see that? For that to be fulfilled, finally. For all to be made right. Because the Apostle Paul is telling you that. Your sufferings, they're not worthy to be compared With what your Lord, who purchased this redemption for you, what he has for you. And we will stop there. And we will pick it up next Lord's Day to finish out this section. But dear friends, think of this. Think of the great price that Christ paid in order to give you this gift of salvation. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose again to give you the promise of eternal life. And the creation in which he has created in the beginning. And saying it was good will also be renewed. That we will be able to experience an enhanced Eden, if you will. For all eternity with him. And what does it take? Believe. Trust in Christ and trust in his finished work. And this great and amazing gift. Not just of eternity. I don't want you to understand or take away that I'm just saying that eternity on a paradise earth is what we should long for. You know how our Lord defines the blessing of salvation? In John 17, that they may know you, the one true God. This is eternal life, he says. So the great blessing that I'm speaking of is to know Christ, to be loved by Christ to be made his own possession and it's through believing in what he did. The other things are great perks that the people of God are privileged to experience at his appointed time. But let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you for, for this great hope that we have. As creation longs for it, we eagerly wait as well longing for the day in which we will be renewed, be glorified in you, and all will be made right. Father, help us that we don't look at our own sufferings in this life, that it takes away the joy of what is to come. Father, help us each day to be reminded of what you have done for us that we retain the joy of our salvation even in times of sorrow. Thank you, Father, for that peace that you grant to us that surpasses all understanding and for the joy that no one can take. Father, thank you so much for Christ and all that he did. We long to to be with you. We know it's at your appointed time. But in, in the time that we do have, Father... Help us, remind us, and encourage us to look forward to the day that you make all things right. Father, we love you because you first loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said, amen.